hymnals to 321. Almighty God, our kind Father in heaven, into this house, into this very sanctuary, we invoke your Holy Spirit where we are gathered in your name. I ask you, Father, to be with Chad as he brings to us what is on his heart, the things that you've placed in his mind, the intelligence that you have given him, that he might stand in your presence as he preaches to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning to each one of you. We're missing uh, Paul and Samantha and Patricia, and I don't know who else, but they're all gone off on good and exciting things. If you've noticed a, a couple of strange, beautiful faces in here today, one of them's a little older than the other, but that's Chad's wife and his daughter, Stella. So don't hold it against them that they're Chad's wife and daughter. I want to tell you, when I first met Chad, he was 14 years old. And Stella, he was the most awkward hillbilly that there ever was. He grew up on Black Dumb Mountain. He was so bashful that he couldn't hardly talk in public. He was like a withered wallflower. Met him at the campgrounds down there. He wouldn't participate in anything, and to, to avoid talking from people, I'm not making any of this up, to avoid talking from people, he would run up and down the driveway. Is that true? <laughs> 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 
And then when the kids were playing, he would stand off to the side and just watch them. And he said something to me about that, you know, that he felt like he wasn't fitting in. And I said, oh, I'll tell you what. The next time they're playing around the world, which is a ping pong thing, you know, anyway, and all of them are joined in. I said, you get right in the middle of it. And the next time they were playing that, he was right in the middle of it. And that boy's life changed that day, that week. That's another tribute to the uh, blessings of God that has been on the Black Gum Campgrounds. And uh, he's going to give us a scripture reading now. When I met Roger, I guess since he shared a little bit about me, I'll share a little bit about him. And as I shared in the class a little bit, I, I was. I was always the most timid and bashful kid between four brothers, and three, the, three others that I grew up with. And uh, uh, I struggled with that for the longest time. But like Roger was saying, the spirit that set those campgrounds and the spirit that was brought in by those campers and by those that were willing to give themselves in that work for the youth really uh, benefited my life. And I will tell you that, uh, not to puff Roger up, but Roger and others in this room have been... Uh, an instrument in my life for bringing me to where I'm at today. And that's how God works with us. As he works in our lives, he, he works with us and he molds us into those, those tools that he can use to help bring others. And uh, it becomes a joy because it's his joy. And whenever we engage in that work, we, we understand what kind of joy that comes of it. And uh, it's been a marvelous journey uh, to this point and I continue to look forward to that walk with my Savior and with each of you as we move towards the kingdom, that work of the kingdom and of bringing those souls into God. And with that thought this morning I want to share with you a couple of scriptures that uh, speak of hope and really to sum, sum it up today that's what I will hope to bring is hope because that's what Christ brought to us. And that's what we are to share with those in the world. And let me share with you from Alma 10, verse 27 through 29. And also I'm going to share from 1 Thessalonians. And now, my brethren, I wish from the inmost part of my heart... Yea, with great anxiety, even unto pain, that you would hearken unto my words and cast off your sins and not procrastinate the day of your repentance, but that ye would humble yourselves before the Lord and call upon his holy name and watch and pray continually that ye may not be tempted above that which ye can bear and thus be led by the Holy Spirit, becoming humble, meek, submissive, patient, full of love and all long-suffering and having faith on the Lord and having a hope that ye shall receive eternal life and having the love of God always in your hearts that ye may be lifted up at the last day and enter into his rest. In 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. But I will not have you be ignorant, brethren, according concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that they, that they who are alive at the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them who remain unto the coming of the Lord, who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
And then they who are alive shall be caught up together into the clouds with them who remain to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be ever with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Psalm 323, please. Speaking of that Book of Mormon that we just sang about, you know, I that book sat on my shelf growing up for a long time, and uh, and I heard my parents talk about it. They took me to church every Sunday and Wednesday night, and they were faithful parents in teaching my brothers and I about this gospel. It was just I had a problem listening and hearing and really taking it in. So, uh, but I will tell you, since since we just sang about it, now I want to share with you. That Book of Mormon is one of the most precious books that we have that testifies of Jesus Christ and of his people and of his promises. And I long to see that book received by those whom it was written for. And uh, the Lord is waiting on us, I think, still to get ourselves to where we perhaps can take it and with his power that it can uh, go to those folks and that they can uh, see those promises that are extended to them yet, and yet to be fulfilled. And I remember when I was first uh, trying to study the scriptures, I was having a real hard time. And I was about 16 at this time, whenever it hit me that maybe I ought to get into those books a little bit and uh, see for myself. 
And uh, I was having a hard time trying to read the Old Testament. And I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I'm, I'm not getting it. And uh, their language and everything about it is, I just, I can't understand. And I, and I hated to read. I'll tell you right now, that was not uh, my stronghold. And, and uh, I didn't care for it much, but I tried. And my dad was a convert to the church, uh, came in through my mother. And that's where my history is on my, my mother's side and my grandmother. And uh, dad said, you know, son, I found out for me. Starting in the Book of Mormon, he said, I, they, they spoke a lot plainer. And I said, for me, I, I actually worked out better for me. And I, and I uh, began my study there. He said, maybe you should try it. I said, okay, I will. And so I picked up the Book of Mormon. I flipped there, and, uh, and I began to read. And it wasn't like any book that I'd ever read before. And it was the first time that I ever picked it up with real intent with full purpose of heart, as the scriptures say. The desire to truly know. And at this point, all I knew was to pick it up and, and read. And I prayed. And my prayers were simple, and they still are. But uh, that's okay. The Lord knows our hearts. We don't need many words to impress him. We just need a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And so I came to the Lord, and I was reading these things of Nephi and his family. And uh, at 16 years old, you know, you're supposed to be this macho guy at school, and I played a lot of sports and these things. And so you kind of have this idea of what a teenage boy uh, should look like and how he should act. And, and for the most part, I fit that role, I guess. Uh, but I began to find myself being humbled as I read these words and weeping on my bedside for no reason. <laughs> you know, this was unlike me. Reading these words for the first time, really, and they become alive in my life. And I began to relate to this man named Ephi, and he had these brothers, and they were kind of ornery, and I had a couple of brothers who were kind of ornery too, and not quite as ornery as they were. But I began to really relate to this guy. And as I began to read these scriptures, I began to feel as if I was walking in those pages. And it was marvelous and it was wonderful. And the spirit came over me, which I had never experienced before in my life, really. Like I said, I was at my bedside weeping, a 16-year-old boy. And uh, it was good. And the more I read... Uh, the more of that spirit that came later in life. And as we talked about the gifts in our class this morning, I was given a wonderful gift, a gift of dream. And I wasn't praying for this gift. I wasn't even asking for it. I was just picking these words up for the first time and, and trying to learn. But I found out the Lord says, if you ask, you shall receive. And if you knock, the door will be opened unto you. And that promise is true. Because I was asking, I was just asking to know for me. Because I had come out of some trials with my family that had left me empty. You know, my mom and dad almost was, was divorced and, and even separated for a time. And that, that caused some, some play in my, in my life and bringing me to this desire to know and to, to fill a void that it caused and other things that the church was going through. But I was asking. And in that dream, the Lord brought to me Three times in the middle of one night in so many ways that I, I don't want to go into all of that detail with you this morning. But I want to tell you that in that dream, he shared with me the truth of the fullness of his gospel. The Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants, that latter-day continued revelation, which his church is built upon and that we continue to rely, rely upon as we move forward in this wonderful work of the kingdom And I remember a promise in that dream. And uh, as I woke up, I, I ran immediately to my dad, not having the interpretation of this dream yet. All I knew it was unlike I had ever had before. And I ran to my dad, and, my, and who was sitting in the living room that day, and my dad, found my dad studying the scriptures. And I said, Dad, i got to share this dream with you. It was amazing. And my dad at that time and I had been 
reading together and studying together, we become closer than we ever had before. And we, I was closer to him than any of my brothers. And so I went to him, and as I shared all of these things, my dad said that it was a spiritual dream from my Heavenly Father, and that he had the interpretation of it, another gift that we just talked about that God gives. But in part of that interpretation, he shared the promise that was in there. And he told me, son, if you were to be faithful and endure unto the end with the Lord, and if you have faith in those things that you found that you needed in your life, that Word of God, that Bible, that Book of Mormon, and that Doctrine and Covenants, if you put that faith into action and you began to follow Jesus, he says, you're going to find out that that road isn't always easy because I had many trials that had come up and a storm that I faced in that dream. He says, but if you keep your eyes single to his glory, which were representations of still waters that I saw in front of me in this midst of raging waters, he says, if you keep your eyes single upon his glory and you hold fast to that, that faith and that rod of iron, he'll give you that strength that you need to overcome those things and he'll bring you into that holy, that holy place where he is. And he says, not only that, he says, but you'll get to look upon his face and dwell with him. And at the end of this dream, I saw this perfect, beautiful white horse. And three times I ended up face to face with him. Representation of the Christ. And that was my first real experience with the Holy Spirit and with the gifts of the church and, and uh, that relationship that my dad and I began to have. And it was wonderful. It was marvelous. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, that's the kind of spirit that God wants for his whole church. And as we talked again in that class, one day that spirit of God is going to rest upon his people. All of his flesh, he said. And those gifts will be evident not only in the priesthood, but in the lives of our children and the women who are faithful. And all of those who are disciples of Jesus Christ and have taken upon them the name of Jesus. And how he longs for that day when we will receive his word in such a way that we've embraced it completely. And not just those parts that we're comfortable with, those parts that are easy for us because... You know, we're okay with this much, but that, those things that we have hard uh, time to let go is what the Lord is truly asking us to sacrifice so that we can obtain the greater things that He is waiting for us and those promises that He has promised His people. And as I wanted to share with you, I said I wanted to hopefully bring some hope and Jesus is obviously that hope, that only hope that we have in life, that truly is sure and true that, that this world doesn't even understand. And there's so many people in this world that walk around trying to fill their lives with things and, and possessions and, and different relationships. And I got brothers that are doing that in this, this life and they don't understand why they are so unhappy. It's because they haven't learned that true joy doesn't lie in the things of this world. True joy lies in that hope and the atonement of our Savior Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection and the one whom they, who, he, who created them. And that's what He wants for all of us. He, he tells us that Adam fell, that men might be and men are, that they might have joy. I just wish that uh, more would grasp a hold of that and realize it. And there's a peace a peace that surpasses all understanding and a love of God that he says that we can't fully comprehend except that there is no greater love than he that is willing to lay his life down for another. And Jesus came and expressed that to us and showed us that kind of love and has commanded us that we are to love even as he loved us. And boy, do we, we fight against that one. <clears throat> you know, it's easy to love my family. It's easy to love those that are dear to me but those that offend me and those that want to hurt me and my family, it's a real hard to want to love them as God loves them. And to understand that justice is his and he's the judge and all I can do is love them as his creation and beckon them unto repentance and towards 
the love of God and toward the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's the calling of the whole church as a witness that we said we would do, that we would be those witnesses and those hands and those feet of Christ. Jesus once told his apostles uh, in the 14th chapter of John, he says, Peace, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, but not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard now, I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. And if you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. The peace that Christ gives is beyond what this world can ever offer. And I have come to understand that. Now I have still, let, uh, as of yet, to let go of all of the things that God has asked me to let go of. I'm still working out my salvation. And uh, I will be right up until he, he shows up. And I just hope by that time that uh, with his strength and with his help, it's enough. It's enough. But you know, the Apostle Paul, we always go back to the Apostle Paul. I mean, I think we could always probably relate to him just about of any other. I mean, if there was ever a man who... In, in other men's eyes, was unworthy of the love of God or, or the mercy of God, it was Paul. And I think about Paul's example and his testimony and how he was blinded as he was on, on that way to Damascus. And the Lord revealed himself to him. Paul wasn't even looking for him. <laughs> you know, he was looking for his people so he could persecute them. But God saw something in Paul that other men couldn't see because he looks upon the hearts of men, not on the outward appearance of them. And Paul was doing things because he had not the knowledge of this Jesus Christ and this Savior. And what I find interesting, after those three days, he sent him to his prophet Ananias. Now Ananias, as if the Lord didn't know what he was doing, said, Lord... Do you know who this man is? Saul? He's the one that has persecuted you and your people. He's put many of my friends to death. And you want me to lay my hands on him and to give him a blessing of sight? Surely, surely you've forgotten who this man is. And I love how the Lord just simply says, Ananias, do it, for he is my chosen vessel. He's a chosen vessel unto me. And when he's done that, we see, we see the Spirit working in Paul. And we see how he humbled himself and, uh, before the Lord. And he was always aware of the great mercies of God in his life. And he never took that for granted. He would express to the other apostles later as he would be numbered among them. He says, I'm the least of thee. Not even fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. He says, but I am what I am by the grace of God. And I labor more abundantly than they all, but not I, but the grace of God that is in me, he says. And man, I tell you what, if, it's, if we can't relate to that grace of God, now we may not, on an outward appearance, look as bad as Paul, putting people to death and persecuting them. Folks, I'm going to tell you that sin is sin in the eyes of God. And uh, it's no different. And perhaps it's even worse for us because we know better. And some of the things that we do, I know for me, I stand guilty. I am a sinner, one of those who he'd come to save. And I'm so thankful that he did. You know, I think about that day when Pilate, Pontius Pilate was given the task of what to do with Jesus. And he didn't really want to have that on his hands. He tried to rid himself of it. Even washed his hands, you know, and said, well, you know, it's on you, but I'm going to give him to you anyway. But he asked a question. He says, what shall I do with this man called Jesus? And boy, is that a question for all of us. And uh, when we come to know him more than just a man, but our Savior, it brings a whole new thought to that question, doesn't it? And what are we willing 
to do with him? And where are we willing to take him? And who are we willing to share him with? Knowing of such great goodness and mercies he's had in our lives. And the Lord tells us that we are to share with all that we have the opportunity to. And he makes those opportunities for us. And we're told to stand ready always with fear and meekness. To give a reason of that hope that's in us to all those that would ask. And the hope is Christ. And there is no other. There is no other. There is no other name that he shares with us that salvation can come. There's so much confusion in the world today. And I don't hate them. Those who disagree with my thought and belief and understanding and everybody comes to that at their own point in life if they are willing to receive those things. But if they reject them, there is a heavy consequence. But we know confusion is not of the Lord. And I think about those that still are trying to identify themselves of whatever it is that they want to be in this world. The Lord tells us if we don't identify with His name, there is no salvation to us. There is no place in His kingdom except we bear His name. Except we be numbered among His people. And the world is so in desperate need of our witness and of that Spirit of God that is in you. You realize when God created you that He put a portion of Himself in you. And that as you go in this life and as you grow and you come to that witness, as Paul did, that spirit comes alive. It recognizes the truth if we don't reject it. And if we receive it, that spirit begins to grow, as the Book of Mormon tells us, like a seed. And our faith begins to be nurtured as we step out in faith and we exercise the things that we begin to learn. To the point that we become those instruments in His hands. Just as many of you, as I said, have been those instruments in my life. And has helped me and nurtured me to this point. And the Lord has asked me to go and do the same for others. Which I, I still feel like I fail in many ways. But I'll reach whoever the Lord will allow me to reach. And so it is with all of us. That He calls us to this work. This work of the kingdom. And this work of helping to bring souls unto Him. For He says that His work is to bring the immortality and uh, eternal life to, of mankind. And it's that work that He's invited us to be a part of. Of sharing the good news of that hope. So that they can be brought to that salvation through Christ. And as I told you, there's not a greater joy that you can ask for. Than to be able to work side by side with God Himself. And when we truly humble ourselves in the ways that He desires us, that spirit that He uh, tells us is waiting for us and that we know that we need in order to accomplish the work that He's asked us to will come. But we're also told that we're still enmeshed in this world too much. And I got all fingers pointed back at me. Because that's all I can be that's all I have control of is me. But with God's help and His strength, we can overcome ourselves in this world and we can truly find again that just as I discovered as a 16-year-old boy, His promises are true. And His word doesn't go back to Him void. And all, are, all things are fulfilled. And if we truly ask with full purpose of heart that we'll receive those things that are beneficial to us, and beneficial for his work in the kingdom. And he can even use the most awkward, bashful, you know, young boy from Blackout, if he so chooses. Don't think that you don't have strength uh, or the ability to do good for God because he will show you those strengths even in your weaknesses. He will make you strong. He will. Joseph was just a 14-year-old boy. And look at the marvelous work that we still 
read about today and to discuss and, and still continues through others. I was reading about Mormon the other day, and you know, he was only 10 years old whenever the prophet came to him, sharing with him that one day he would keep this record that he was going to hide up. And uh, at 16 years old, he was leading an army. He couldn't have done that except God held him up and gave him the strength. And others, many others that we, th that we read about, that God has given strength to do the things that he desires. And it's wonderful as we place our trust in him and we quit doubting, but we yield. We yield to God as he desires us to. From Exodus 19 and 5. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. Is the promise. And to go along with that, Titus 2 and 11 through 14. For the grace of God which bringeth salvation to all men hath appeared, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So God is looking for us to not only say that we love him, but that we show him through our actions that we might become that peculiar treasure unto him and that we might be found one day worthy to stand in his presence as I saw in that dream. And I know it's all hinged. It's all hinged on my repentance and my willingness to follow him as it is all of ours. You know, I don't know that when Ananias uh, first heard Saul was coming to him, that he thought he was a real treasure to God. <laughs> you know, in fact, we already read that. He, he really fought the Lord on that one. But how do we treasure now those words of who we know as Paul and the work that he's done because he was willing to give himself to the work and he was willing to humble himself. And that work that he's done, we treasure. We treasure because God is in that work. Just as God was in Paul when he had him to write. Just as he was in Paul when he had him to go and, and to teach and to preach, even whenever he witnessed to the, the jailer who was looking over him. He was in prison. You know, Paul had the true spirit of God. He found joy no matter where he was, even in those jail cells behind the bars. He says, this is fine. I can witness here too, I guess. And he did. And he shared his story and his testimony over and over again any moment that he had because he knew again of the grace of God that was in his life and what his life could have been had God not intervened. And I want to share with you a testimony you know very well, but one that relates to Paul and one that I think uh, expresses where his life was as well. And that's with the testimony of Alma, who roamed around with his buddies. You remember the sons of Mosiah? And when the angel came and appeared to him and he was struck dumb, and during that time the Lord revealed the status of his life before him. And it was... It was pretty scary. And I want to read to you again that testimony of Alma. What am I, I guess if you got a favorite, one of my most favorite testimonies in the Book of Mormon. And what I love even more because of my newfound relationship with my dad, this is Alma speaking to his son. And that relationship that he had, he was sharing that testimony with his son Helaman. And this is what it says from the 17th chapter of the Book of Alma. I'm going to read 
3 and then jump down a little ways. And now, O my son Helaman, behold, thou art in thy youth, and therefore I beseech of thee that thou wilt hear my words and learn of me. For I do know that whosoever will put their trust in God shall be supported in their trials and their troubles and their afflictions and shall be lifted up at the last day. And as he continues, he began to share with him about that angel and his appearing. And as he was struck down, and this, this is what came to him as he was unable to move his limbs. He says, but I was wrecked with eternal torment for my soul and harled up by the greatest degree and racked with all my sins. Yea, I did remember all my sins and iniquities for which I was tormented with the pains of hell. Yea, I saw that I had rebelled against my God and that I had not kept his holy commandments. Yea, and I had murdered many of his children or rather led them away unto destruction. Yea, in fine, so great had been my iniquities that the very thought of coming into the presence of my God did rack my soul with inexpressible horror. I want you to think about that for a minute. Now, if that kind of pain and that kind of horror is overcoming him who is, is flesh and blood, think about what the Lord dealt with when he was on the cross, when he was bearing this one man's sin that harled him up to the greatest degree, as well as every soul that ever will and ever has walked this earth. If there wasn't ever a superhero, he's, he's it. Can you imagine him? Because God didn't just bear the physical pain on that cross. He bore the spiritual pain. And the pain is the sin. The spiritual part of that. Which is far worse than the physical things. Yea, and find so great had been my iniquities. That the very thought of coming into the presence of my God. Did rack my soul with inexpressible horror. Oh, thought I, that I could be banished and become extinct, both soul and body. That I might not be brought to stand in the presence of my God to be judged of my deeds. And now for three days and for three nights was I racked even with the pains of a damned soul. And it came to pass that I was thus racked and tormented. While I was hauled up by my many, many, many sins. Behold, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ a son of God to atone for the sins of the world. And now as my mind caught hold upon this thought, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me, who art in the gall of bitterness and art encircled about by the everlasting pain, chains of death. And now behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was hard up by and by the memory of my sins no more. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold. Yea, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding was my pain. And yea, I say unto you, my son, that there could be nothing so exquisite and so bitter as was my pains. And yea, again, I say unto you, my son, on the other hand, there could be nothing so exquisite and so sweet as was my joy. And yea, I thought I saw even as our father Lehi saw God sitting upon the on the throne, surrounded with numberless and concourses of angels in the attitude of singing and praising their God. Yea, and my soul did long to be there. But behold, my limbs did receive their strength again. And I stood upon my feet and did manifest unto the people that I had been born of God. And yea, and from that time forth, even until now, I have labored without ceasing, that I might bring souls unto repentance, that I might bring them to taste of the exceeding joy of which I did taste, that they might also be born of God and be filled with the Holy Ghost. What a marvelous testimony. And from a man who had a similar background as Saul or Paul, what a future our lives look without a Savior. And we would rather wish for death than to have to stand before God if we don't come to that understanding that he is our savior and that we are in need of him. But I know that brothers and sisters, you, you are the faithful. We are not perfect yet. But you have received that and it's laid upon you 
as his sons and his daughters, as his church, as the faithful, as his disciples, to share that hope and that joy with those around you. That they might be brought, as Alma said, to that knowledge and taste of that exquisite joy. We long for that day when Christ returns. And we know that the angel promised those apostles, apostles of old a long time ago that just as you see him going, you're going to see him coming again. And we long for that day. And the Lord didn't leave us alone. He says, I, I will come to you. I will not leave you comfortless. And it's that Holy Spirit, that power of his Holy Ghost that he sent in his stead and as we receive that, we then also can receive Christ in his fullness one day when we allow that spirit to do its work. And when we stand and look steadfastly, when we're prepared and we are willing to look, look for Christ and expect him, and then he'll come. Let me show you a quick testimony in the scriptures again. And a promise. I thought about those Nephites. Who were visited by Christ. But you know he didn't just appear to them all of a sudden. Without some kind of preparation in their life. In fact even before that. Do you remember what went on? The great calamities and the awful storms. And the earthquakes and the tempest. And the whirlwinds and all these things. That had total destruction on the lives and the earth itself. Changing it completely. And can you imagine being in the midst of that for a minute? Having your loved ones there and you don't know because they've been taken by these many things of the earth. Cities completely buried in the ground and drowned by the sea and people in the whirlwinds carried off and no one knows where they went. But then that darkness came. Can you imagine being in the midst of that? And how horrifying that would feel not knowing if your family was still with you and knowing that had I repented and accepted Christ when I was told of him, that all of these things perhaps could have been avoided. I can't imagine. But I want you to remember that in the midst of the darkness of their lives, in the midst of the chaos, there was a voice that they heard. And it was a voice of warning and, and hope, a voice of repentance that came to them. And then the light came again after that third day. And it, I didn't realize until later, but it was almost in a, a full year from the time of that darkness until the time that Christ showed himself to those people. And what do you think that time was meant for between then and that day he appeared? The same time he's given us right now to prepare, to prepare for his coming to prepare to meet Him. Because we don't just walk in the presence of God. We must be purified and made even holy to walk in His presence. And that goes through a process of sanctification as we respond to His Spirit and to His Word. And one day, as these people who had went through the midst of all this. And I can't imagine in the moment of the darkness, they thought, oh, one day we're going to be walking with Jesus and all is going to be good. We're going to be happy go again. All they could focus on was the chaos and the sorrow. Chapter 5 of 3 Nephi. Let me read to you real quick. And now it came to pass that there were great multitudes gathered together of the people of Nephi round about the temple which was in the land bountiful. And they were marveling and wondering one with another and were showing one to another the great marvelous change which had taken place. And they were also conversing about this Jesus Christ of whom the sign had been given concerning his death. And it came to pass that while they were thus conversing one with another, they heard a voice as it came out of heaven and they cast their eyes round about for they understood not the voice that they heard. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear. 
to the very center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame that did, uh, that did not cause to quake, yea, it did pierce them to the very soul, and did cause their hearts to burn. And it came to pass that again they heard the voice, and they understood it not. And again the third time they did hear the voice, and did open their ears to hear it. And their eyes were towards the sound thereof, and they did look steadfastly towards heaven from whence the sound came. And behold, the third time they did understand the voice which they heard, and it said unto them, Behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, and whom I have glorified my name. Hear ye him. The Lord is asking us and commanding us to prepare our lives, pleading with us. Because brothers and sisters, he desires to be among us, to be among this people. And he will come if we are willing to give ourselves to the discipline and to the sacrifice that he's asked us to. And he will come just as he came to those Nephites. It's a promise that I know to be sure and true, brothers and sisters. And it's a promise that needs to be fulfilled that this world might truly find the peace that it longs for. This earth is mourning and groaning, waiting for the day. When shall I rest? But there is great tribulations yet to be had, brothers and sisters, and it's only through the faith that we have in Christ and the assurance that we know that is in him that we'll be able to overcome those things and be a part of that holy place. And I long for it. I long for it as I know do you. And let me share with you these last scriptures and then one little thing here. And I'm going to close. We know the vision of John in the book of Revelations. The sorrow and the signs shall flee away. There'll be no more death in the day that he returns. But this scripture in section 85 of Doctrine and Covenants 18 was one of those that came to my mind after that testimony that I had that dream because the Lord revealed himself to me in a very unique way for me and this is words that I found later that brought me uh, brought me even more joy it comes from section 85 uh, verse 18 and if your eye be single to my glory your whole body shall be filled with light and there shall be no darkness in you and that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. Therefore sanctify yourselves that ye, your minds become single to God. And the day will come that you shall see him. For he will unveil his face unto you. And it shall be in his own time. In his own way. And according to his own will. I shared, uh, I'm going to close with you with this last set of words here. I come across these a while, and I've shared them with some of the saints in, in Independence there. Uh, and they still are ringing on my heart. They're still, still sitting there. So I wanted to share them again with you uh, today. And what this is, is words of counsel that came to the church through, uh, actually, Apostle Ralph Damon. And uh, at a conference 2009, uh, April 5th. And I'm only going to read just a little portion of it that I felt that was appropriate today. But let me leave these words with you this morning as you ponder that hope of Christ and of that preparation that he calls us to and is of our, our work of the kingdom that he uh, is asking us to be a part of as we help bring souls unto him. And as we look forward to that, that Zion coming to the earth again. My children, I know that many of you are burdened with this life and its sorrows and loss. But I want each of you to know that my eyes are clear and I see you. My hands are strong and I hold you. My heart is large and I love you. And if I could be in your midst in the physical sense and let you see me with your mortal eyes and touch me with your hands, I would. You know I would. But at this time I am constrained and that cannot be yet. 
Until that time arrives, I can only give you my counsel and my strength through the words of your ministry and through the scriptures. Listen well, my children. Study deeply and prepare yourselves for the day of my coming. It is not far from you. You have the opportunity to bring into completeness my power again on this earth. As you have already been told, in days past, preparations are underway at this very moment for the return to this earth of my Zion. I now patiently await for your own preparations to become complete in order to send my emissaries to you to herald up the coming forth of my power and my strange act, an act strange to the unbelieving but so expected by those who will be found watching. Be of good cheer, but know that I can be patient with you only so long. Do not let your personal opportunity to assist in my work pass you by. I desire that this earth soon be made clean again so that you and I and countless others throughout this earth and its many nations may again reside in my Father's realm of peace and glory. I bless you this day and I place my benediction upon you and give you my peace. Will you give me the strength of your lives in return? Amen. heard the words of the gospel testified through the words of a 70. Kristen's father is Bruce Terry, which is Chad's father-in-law. He told me to give Chad a hard time to make him feel at home. We did that earlier. But that awkward, bashful, Hillbilly from Black Gum Mountain has really, really changed. Evolution still happening right today. You saw creation, how the Lord took him and molded him. Let's turn to our last song, which is 330.
Robert Job, will you bring us our, our benediction?